CCA on the Air podcast. My name is Misi Fairfax, and I'm a strategy director at Complete College America. Now, today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jun Fu, a data analyst and a large member of a larger team supporting the success of students through the Neighborhood Student Success Center at Michigan State University, my alma mater. Now, she's an educational psychologist by training, and she uses an integrated lens to analyze the motivational, social, and cultural factors that shape learning and instruction. Now, I came across her work at a conference earlier this summer, and I was struck by her attention to the well-known and documented need to provide and uh, support equity in STEM classrooms, though it's still a largely unmet need. So active academic support, a term we use here at CCA, is, describes the programs and the services helped to support students alongside their classes to develop the academic skills necessary for their success. So thrilled to have her on the line with us today. And Dr. Fu, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Missy. Thank you for the wonderful opportunity. I feel so delighted. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, if you wouldn't mind starting us off a little bit and just telling us and sharing with our listeners what the Neighborhood Success Center is and then your role. So the Neighborhood Student Success Center at MSU is an institutional student success unit on campus. The center is committed to supporting all MSU undergraduate students to succeed with a focus on academic achievement, institutional navigation, and a sense of belonging by serving as a crucial interface between students living on campus and student services programs. The engagement centers expand the capacity of the academic colleges and units, student life and engagement, student health services, and the Office of Undergraduate Education programs and other on-campus student support services by creating and managing collaborative and innovative spaces within the residence halls that bring services to students. As a central place for students, including students with marginalized identities, they also serve as a prime focus of data gathering on student experiences and opportunity gaps that can be used to inform the policies, procedures, and practices at MSU. That's such a, a thorough, and there's so much to unpack there. And so I will say this, that for folks who I will leave a link so that you can take a look at the center. Um, but, and for those who are going to stay with us today to learn a bit more, we're going to learn a little bit more specifically about your project um, and the work that you did. Could you just tell us a little bit about that and and um, some of the early uh, learning outcomes or how you came to the project? Yes. So my project is assessing the student support program in an online asynchronous taught introductory math course with a lens of equity. So regarding the student support program, it has two main purposes. One, to mitigate student attrition in the online course. And two, to provide timely outreach and support beyond what's available through the university early academic alert system. The program features include consistently timely reaching out to each student through the support team, identify individual students' needs and aligning those needs with guidance and support. And lastly, developing relationships with students so that they could feel comfortable and connected in the learning process. I would say that the support team is quite unique in this support program. The team consists of two learning assistants, 
One is undergraduate learning assistant, and the other is a graduate learning assistant. They were often seen as peers to the students in the course, while serving as both the change agents to cultivate meaningful relationships and interactions in the class, and serving as intermediates to communicate student voices back to the lead instructor. In terms of the my assessment of the program, the key assessment questions are, does the teacher support promote better student engagement? If so, are there any subsets of the core student population that differentially benefit from the teacher support as evidenced by their engagement? As to the methodology, we use an asynchronous online surveying approach in spring 2022 and mainly use regression analysis to analyze the data. So I could share some learning outcomes. So through the project, uh, we were able to identify specific strategies, interventions, or actions that could be useful for supporting minoritized student populations in the online hybrid learning environments. Second, we also were able to recognize the role of social emotional support in facilitating student engagement and learning, particularly for minoritized and marginalized student populations. And lastly, we were able to identify or reflect on the ways to incorporate data disaggregation into program assessment. And so much of what you said there is gonna resonate with folks. Um, There's so many students who are still in an online environment. So knowing how to support them is, is gonna be critical. You talked about the data disaggregation leading you towards making some very um, key understandings of how students are interacting. And would just love to hear a little bit about um, there's a couple of considerations that you did in the background that folks are going to be curious about. Right. I think the first off is going to be, how did you decide which course to select and which faculty members to work with? Yeah, that's a great question, Missy. So in general, as a researcher, I'm open to working with faculty, administrators, or students who have an interest in exploring, you know, how can we better support students' well-being and academic outcomes. And for this particular project, I was working as a program evaluator for an internally funded grant project at MSU. That project aims at enhancing and humanizing student learning in non-traditional settings, including online or hybrid courses. And the faculty member who teaches the course was already in partnership with the project team back then. So my involvement was a natural collaboration during my time in the grant project, though, I had opportunities to design and conduct research and assessment activities in collaboration with faculty across different subjects, including math, biology, so different sorts of um, academic subjects. So in designing the project on a conceptual level, I closely work with faculty and the you know, student supporting to conceptualize everything and to think about, you know, what is the best way to approach the assessment of their support. So um, the when you talk about it, I just wanted to bring back when you said about tracking the assessment of that support. Um, what was tracked when it came to the students? Uh, that's a great question, Missy. So in the conceptual phase, you know, when we think about the kind of support students will receive in the typical course setting in college classrooms. Oftentimes people often jump to pedagogical support, right? Like 
maybe supplementary tutoring services or pedagogical revisions in the course that could help students consume and digest the concept and the ideas in the course more concretely. So for this one on the conceptual level, with the student supporting, the main outreach and the nature of the support was socio-emotional. So basically they would have mental health check-ins with students, right? Asking them what will be some of the barriers they're experiencing right now and what could be done from the faculty and student support team side. So the key consideration in the conceptual level is how we can measure that socio-emotional support provided by that team. And this is quite different from the traditional academic level pedagogical kinds of support. So when, when it comes to you know, what has been tracked on the student level, being an online asynchronously taught course, the support teams are dedicated only to do outreach and trying to align students' needs with other resources on campus. So their workload was about 22 human hours per week in total for the two team members. What kinds of outreach have been provided to the students then? So there are weekly checking emails from the support team. They use a strategy to send email from a common shared email box. It's called mass101 at msu.edu and offer student well-being check-ins twice per semester. They all also have the options to allow students to book one-on-one -on -one appointments with a support team. Also students can come by the office hours of the support team to drop in. Throughout the semester, the support team actively tracks students showing signs of disengagement in the course. So for example, if there were some students who disappeared from the online you know, sign-in or they failed to turn in assignments, then they were the, uh, you know, the key population that the support team paying closely attention, paying close attention to. Eventually, there were 139 students being tracked through the semester, or about 23% of the class population. So much of what you said is so interesting because, um, and there's there's a lot to kind of um to think through because. The social emotional support is something that we saw folks start to provide across the pandemic, but wasn't something that had always been provided in those spaces, nor had they been provided by um, peers or near peers, quite honestly, within the classroom, which I think is just one of the many things that I think folks are going to take away from this conversation. Um, you talked about tracking, you talked about the population, I think you said about the 23%. So curious about when now you see that information, those, those individuals see that information in front of you in terms of how their students are doing, who needs a support. Um, what does that look like in terms of how that information is shared and then with whom? How far okay. does it go? Yeah. Yes. So for example, just talking about the student well-being check-ins, those are two times per semester. And each check-in was in the form of a less than five minute brief online questionnaire. And here are some simple questions the team uses. What concerns do you have that might limit your ability to engage in learning? And if there were one thing you would want to help with right now, what would it be, right? So those are some straightforward but targeted questions for students to reflect using that short amount of time to provide feedback to the support team. 
And after the support team collect the results of student well-being check-ins, there were actually throughout the semester, there were about 100 students out of the over 500 students enrolled in the class who had direct requests or specific alarming concerns shared through that well-being survey. And the primary instructor and the support team member, they meet, they review the outcomes from those uh, you know, questionnaires, the student well-being check-ins, and they do two different sorts of things. First is they meet together and address common themes emerge from everyone who responded to the survey. For example, some students might have less of a concerning issue such as worries about changing major in the future, um, keeping their motivation in the class, future employment opportunity, and balancing work and life. But for students showing specifically challenging situations, they sent out personalized emails through the support team so that they could follow up and connect them to other support resources on campus. Now, I'm I'm curious with uh, what you shared in terms of who then, right? I, I love the idea that it's this, the team coming together, taking a look, but then right. who then would decide who would ultimately be the individual who would reach out to these to these students or did it vary? So basically for addressing the common concerns, the team, right, the primary instructor and student support team, they will come together about maybe sending out some common messages about navigating those issues to everyone in the class. And for those individuals showing specific alarming concerns or shared that, oh, they would like some help and they would like some resources, the instructor and the support team send personalized individual emails to each of them to follow up and to connect them with other support networks and support offices on campus. Now, I, you know, I think I'd be remiss if we had some advisors or dean of advisors or directors who are on the line thinking about what you're sharing, uh, because so much of the support that you're providing, I think rightly so, is happening within the classroom, but that also doesn't mean that it doesn't happen outside the classroom. So I was right. curious, right? We we typically see that advisors are the point of contact when something does arise in the classroom. You had, right. you had mentioned the early alert system, right? So it, it tends to take it out of the classroom and then into the advisor's office. But you know, we do know from literature that the response has always varies. And then when we think about marginalized populations, uh, we tend to see some very low, low um, response rates. A lot of that has to do with the many things that you talk about you built into this program um, that um, and and saying that you you guard up against that because there's personalization, there's relationships and others, there's things that happen on more regular cadence. Um, I say all that to say that, again, yet by and large, that advisors, when they're sending something out, largely they don't, there's students that never respond. So I was just curious, largely thinking about the other body of support that's typically where this support would come from in a different form. What are your thoughts about why and how that response rate varies across advisors and advisors and students in terms of them connecting? That's a great question, Missy, because I was also reflecting on the advising side of support. So speaking just from my own teaching experiences, some students, especially those who are struggling academically or in their critical life situations, they might perceive meeting their advisors as intimidating. It might suggest, oh, this meeting might be prescriptive, might even 
ending up with limited options for me to pursue afterwards. So I feel, you know, part of it is first, there is a capacity issue across the advisors, right? Because our advisor have a large advising load. So how can we better address individual students' concerns beyond their academic struggles? How can we expand the communications to the level that students are open and honest about, you know, I need some other kinds of support for me to do well, both academically, but personally. When I look at the research literature, you know, there were some studies exploring, you know, what can be more effective in terms of how can we help students uh, better utilizing advising services. And some literature suggesting the empathy from the advisors and the relationship building piece were some of the key factors impacting those relationship and students' response rates to, you know, getting together with their advisors, meeting to discuss issues. Curious then to kind of juxtapose this with then the response rate. So what was the response rate in terms of students responding then to the instructor? Was that sizably larger? What what did that what did you experience in the in the observation of this data set? Yeah, so for assessing this program, right? So we conducted this one-time survey in spring 2022, and the response rate to the survey was quite high. It was over 90% of the student, over 500 students. All of this, you know. Five, over 550 uh, students in total enrolled class. So it was a quite high response rate. The strategies I think we incorporate to trying to you know, improve our response rate in this assessment project was we make the survey totally anonymous. So there were no identifiers in the survey, no IP addresses or identifiable information was collected through the survey and students were more open and honest to respond to the survey, right? Because we just want to collect their honest response. And also the separation of the assessment team and the teaching or student support team was a key because we make, make it clear to students the teaching team or the student support team would not have access to the survey. We are a separate team and we will manage the data ethically and ethnic, um, in an ethical manner so that we could be better supporting your needs going forward, right? To provide meaningful data to inform teaching and supporting practices in the future. So that were, that were some of the strategies we used to try to you know, improve the response rate for the assessment. Uh, I'm curious. I'm so curious because a lot of times we don't hear so much front loading of saying what we're going to do with that data, right, who right. doesn't have access, um, that it's not going to be shared. Where, how, what informed you to share so much of that? I think a lot of times folks just send out a survey, say, or something and say, hey, respond to us, but don't share mm -hmm. where and the ways that it's going to be used. Um, you were so forward with that in the way that you just explained. How did, why, how did you get to that point? And I would just love for you to share with our listeners about mm -hmm. um, just your thoughts about why this should be a practice going forward. 
I think Macy, that's a Missy, this is a great question. I think from the research side, you know, we there are many technical details why this is meaningful. For me personally, this is an equity issue too. Because for any student in any college classroom, they're in this um structure of unbalanced power, right? The instructor and the teaching team, they have the full control of grading, right? How they evaluate their academic performances. So any data we collected in the course, if we're not being careful, then students probably they will not be motivated to either respond to the assessment survey or to provide their honest opinion because of the fear of, you know, like this might impact the teacher's perception about my engagement in the course. So that's on the equity level. Also from speaking from myself, if I was a student in a class and someone asked me to take some surveys, I would be interested in learning about, you know, how this information can be useful not only to the instructional practices in the future, but how this information can support the well-being and academic outcomes of us as students in the course. So how, why does this matter to me? By informing them how and why this matters to them in the long run is really helpful. Mm -hmm. That's so important. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that and, and elaborating on that a little bit further. Uh, I did want to go back to something we had talked about earlier. This goes back to the alert, early alert system. And I, you know, folks who've heard some of my podcasts in the past, 93% um, is probably even higher uh, of our higher ed institutions have an early alert system. Uh, the Usually what the metric is in terms of if it's effective, largely in the past has been about just faculty participation, not really about the the outcomes or if it was equitable in terms of the way that it was was uh, deployed across with students. Uh, there's a variety of different factors out there. You talked about language. You talked about who the, who the message comes from. Uh, you talked about power dynamics, which I think are all very important in terms of even just uh, where and how and how how students react to it. And then actually how the early alert system is actually used. Um, does it feel like a, a place of weaponization or, or, or just punitive or is it about a place of care um, in terms of how and when that's sent out? Um, so anyway, all that said, um, you did note that uh, with a bit of your research that the early alert system wasn't always conducive to providing what that needed support was. So I would love to hear a little bit more about what led you to that to that observation. So for example, when I was teaching undergraduate courses at my prior institution, faculty, I remember we are required to submit the report through the early academic alert system, say by the end of the first four weeks after the class starts. And the advisor typically have a large advising load. So by the time when the student actually decides to meet with their advisor, time already passed by quickly, making it even more challenging for them to catch up effectively because eventually the student would have to go back to the courses that they were struggling with themselves and coming up with some plans to catch up. And this can be very challenging, especially for those students who are already overwhelmed at that point. I remember when I was teaching even a graduate level course a couple of years back, a student was, you know, absent from, you know, that online course interface. 
And I was curious to what happened, right? So I reached out to that student a couple of times early on in the semester. I didn't hear anything back. And only until after four to five weeks already lapsed and already beyond the early academic alert reports coming out, the student finally decided to you know, get back with me. So she shared that she was having some critical life situations that time. So I was totally, you know, I was totally relating to her because it was a very difficult situation for her to navigate through life. So she couldn't possibly, you know, having this sense of orientation and clear mind to go through all of these procedural things Absolutely. on the academic level. Absolutely. Um and I think that's a, a critical piece for folks to kind of take in that there is so much that's happening. You know, folks always talk about that, the Maslow's hierarchy of need um, and talk about in terms of our base level of what support students have or what may be unstable at that moment. How do we and what way do we can show up when and how do they respond? Um, I think even folks remember when they're thinking about how many times they reach out um, when when do you, and it's not to say that you're giving up on the student, but how many times, what's that cadence or what, how many times do you reach out to a student? I don't think there's a magic number, but I'd be curious in terms of just your, your own personal, when you were teaching or uh, what you saw in this, this, uh, in this project, what does that mean in terms of how often or their frequency? And if, especially if you're not hearing back. Even though I know that you've had some really good response rates overall. Um, yeah, Missy, give me a second. Let me check the stats we have over there. Let's see. And I love that you're doing this in the moment. So thank you. This is great. Yeah, remember we have some <laughs> yeah. stats showing, you know, like how many were eventually actively caught up in the course. And let me see. Okay. So for this project, I mentioned that eventually we tracked, you know, those students showing signs of disengagement. That was 23% of the class population. So 139 students. And eventually the results were 13 out of 139 students in tracking could not pass a course. And they did not respond to the over 20 emails from the support team throughout the semester. So 13 students were lost, you know, as a result, right? But we tried our best. And I can also share with you about prior to the semester midpoint, over 20 students could still pass, but not without major changes in their engagement in the course or certain ways to catch up with the assignments. So the instructor and the support team were working to re-engage them through multiple ways at that mid-semester point. For example, they sent the weekly D2L is the learning management, online learning management system they use. So send weekly D2L intelligence agents for missed work. Like, so you missed assignment one and three this week. And they also send weekly support check-ins for those, you know, over 20 students. And they also ask students to respond to the mid-semester progress report. And in the last attempt, they send the last chance to pass email for all those all of those students to provide them opportunity. You know, there's still some opportunities, some ways for you to still be able to pass the course. Please reach out back to us. 
And I love the 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 tone that it has, right? right? That they're that it's not too late that you can continue. There's ways to to go on, and I don't think we typically see that, um, or folks haven't had the time to think about that within their program. So the you know there's something that popped up when you were talking about that, and it, and it is a little bit about thinking about student feedback. Um, you've heard a lot from them. Um, right. How was in the front end, or even as you're thinking about the potential next iteration of this project, um, how was student feedback incorporated into the design of the, the course plan? And then that's an assumption, right? Was it? Right. So that's a great question, Missy. I think after this pilot cycle, the instructor and the students supporting the review, you know, how it was perceived by those enrolled students in a class. And they reflected on certain things they could be improved upon in the future cycles. For example, how to allow students to opt in to support structures at the beginning of the course, in addition to the supporting onboarding students as needed, right? So students have the opportunity to share, right? Oh, I would like to be reminded. I would like to receive those check-ins so I can keep myself on track with the online learning. Or students are also have the opportunity to opt out in the support structure. Like I'm a self-motivated learner, right? I'm a high achiever. Uh, I feel less emails from supporting would be helpful for me. So tailor to individual student needs, that's one piece. Also for effectively implementing those, uh, you know, supporting check-ins and the regular academic side of communications the instructor and the support team, they review the structure of their course so that they could incorporate the elements of the support program into the weekly plans at the beginning of each week for every student, right? So for this week, you're expected to fill out the student well-being checking on Monday and maybe by Thursday, you're supposed to submit assignment for during this week. In this way, students will clearly know, you know what to expect in each week across the semester. And in the online course management system to help students to access the different support options. So they created a menu or drop-down options for students to choose, you know, if they want to book one-on-one -on -one appointments with the student support team. Those were some of the things that were either incorporated into the course plan or planning to be incorporated in future cycles of course planning and design. Well, thank you so much for just everything that you've shared here. Um, and I know that there's probably many lessons that we can take from the assessment of the program. Um, so just wanted to get your thoughts on terms of what, what are those that you would share with our listeners? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so basically I can share some brief like big picture outcomes of the results, right? So mm -hmm. uh, has this support program worked for students and how were students perceiving the support program? So the results based on the 506 student responses we collected in spring 2022, for this entire sampling student population, there was a positive relationship between perceived teacher support and their engagement in the course. Further, the effects of teacher support on student engagement were even stronger for students from some of the traditionally minoritized groups. For example, students with non-binary, other or non-specified gender identities, and the students identified as Asian and Asian American students. 
So what about some of the significance of this work? So conceptually, this contribute towards how to meaningfully engage and support STEM students' engagement and retention, especially for the online setting. Also, we know that from the prior research, uh, the success in the introductory STEM course is a crucial factor for students to persist in the long run in STEM majors and programs. And some of the limitations or challenges we learned from these projects include, for example, we use a one-time survey approach. So this cross-sectional design could not actually draw causal inferences. So we could not say it's because of A that leads to B, right? We can only say there's a positive correlation relationship between the two sides. Mm -hmm. Also, there can be some possibilities of confounding factors that we might not be aware of that moment. And from the practical end, the challenge about tracking is it's very difficult and time consuming to track for this student size, right? Like over 550 students enrolled in an online class. And it's not um, very doable through the learning management system itself. So we have to create those Excel sheets for us to manually track and enter student information throughout the semester. It's very time in intensive. So that requires also the power and the funding to hire supporting members to dedicate themselves to this work. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's that's so key um, because as someone who oversees the support pillars at CCA, that tends to be the place where there's the least amount of funding because that funding is so much for some of the many things that you you uh, mentioned um, to make manual processes more automatic. You may need right. a lift of technology and other things and then support personnel as well, right? To get those numbers right. up in terms of where they can support the students. But at the same time, um, what you shared about the, the payoff in terms of the students who continue to get through that you've created an equitable learning environment for all of the students that you provided the level of social emotional support that the students needed beyond um, that went beyond what's typically offered in some of the classroom settings, which might be supplementary tutoring or pedagogical changes, I think was really important to stress about just how important that was and what a factor that had. As we think about largely across our campuses, what folks are looking at in terms of students having um, specific and marginalized students have a lower uh, sense of well-being and belonging in some of these spaces as well, especially when we're thinking about STEM programs. Um, so that support to actually help them progress and continue on through their programs is so vitally important. Um, so would love to hear what are the next steps of this work or where are you taking this work as you're, you know, I know, I know we talked about you as the uh, larger uh, member of a larger team at the Neighborhood Student Success Center at Michigan State. And that's a great question, Missy. I think for this project, a key um, factor that we were able to successfully measure and assess the effects of the support is choosing the proper theoretical framework first, right? We chose the community of inquiry model, which is suitable for online learning, um, you know, suggesting the impacts of social cognitive presence in the online learning environment is critical 
And we were able to actually measure and assess that because of the theoretical model chosen in the first place. I would say in the future, if anyone is looking to either design, implement, or assist supporting structures and services in other spaces, it's critical to think about what other theoretical models to use. Because each model has its limitations and strengths and its suitable context. And for me, for this particular project, we're hoping to first, you know, sending out as an academic uh, publication so that we could collect feedback from the researchers end. But I'm also working on actually talking with campus partners, for example, career service about uh, how can we use some of the structures and insights from this program to expand to other spaces to track and assist support and outreach to students in, for example, career services spaces. So for me, I would love to really both contribute academically and in the practical practices that could bring positive outcomes to our students. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all everything that you shared with us today. I know I will be keeping an eye out for your work and the, the work of what you and your fellows are doing over at the at Michigan State. And um, want to leave some room if there's any one last thing you want to share. I know you shared quite a bit. Um, you talked about what it would look like for folks trying to do this actually in a classroom and looking at those theoretical models, but want to leave you the space for if there's anything else you want to share um, or state before the end of our time. Missy, that's great. So I think the one line I would, I think the biggest lesson or the biggest takeaway for myself is to really support students, we really need to show we care about them. We care about what's impacting their engagement beyond just academic difficulty or academic related structures and services. By showing that we care, we help create a culture that students can build trusting relationship with the teaching and support team in the academic spaces. I think the same goes to the support for students in other spaces as well. If we care about them as human beings, they will be very open and candid about how we can all coming together to create this more inclusive, positive experiences and environments for them to thrive and for them to achieve the success in their own mind. Hmm. Well, there's nothing else I would add to that. That was just so wonderfully said. So thank you again, Dr. Junfu. Thank you again for our listeners. And thank you for joining CCA on the Air podcast. We hope you'll join us again. Thank you, Missy. My thank great you. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.